0: We're finishing up over the next few weeks our series called Christianity 101, and the basis of that is answering this, this statement. People say that all religions are fundamentally the same, and our answer to that is yes, they are fundamentally the same, except for, can you do it? Except for what it says about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of, man, nature of God, the nature of man, nature of the church, members of the church. All of those things, other than that, all the religions are, are the same, right? So we've taken care of a lot of those subjects. Now we're getting into just some, some base-level Christianity, Christianity 101. So for this week, we're looking at the subject of alcohol. Next week, we're going to look at the subject of personal holiness, godly convictions, and how do we determine those things. The following week, we're going to be looking at the home. Christianity 101, we'll be dealing with the home probably for a couple of weeks. And uh, then, Lord willing, in March, we're going to try and get to the book of Zechariah. So, some important things coming up, so make sure that you are in your place. The subject of drinking, of Christians and alcohol, it is becoming uh, uh, more and more of an issue. Now, remember, for years that wasn't the case. You know, as a matter of fact, America thought so much, uh, thought drinking was so bad that they made it illegal in Prohibition. And we looked at some of the statistics about Prohibition in the Sunday school hour downstairs. Um, how many of you have heard that Prohibition was bad? It caused trouble in America. How many of you have heard that? Right? What they don't tell you is crime went down 54%. Insanity, the rates of insanity went down by 66% during Prohibition. How many of you heard that crime increased during Prohibition? Right? How many of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about? All right. So because there are people with a vested interest in the alcohol industry, it's hard to get some of the right information. Now we are also to the place where we have Christianity that is trying to be very much like the world. Let's be as worldly as we can as a church so that we can reach more worldly people. And I just think that that's completely unbiblical. Amen? It's completely unbiblical. So I want to start with a couple of just philosophical things. Um, Number one, we're not a legalistic church, right? We believe in salvation by grace through faith. We believe in individual soul liberty, and that is that it is between you and God, what you do, your behavior, all of those things, that you are going to give an account for God. If you're lost, if you're not saved, then God will send you to hell. If you're saved, you will receive rewards or lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're saved, then in this life, God will chasten you or reward you, bless you, based on your behavior. How many of you know that? Right? So we're not legalists. The, the job of the pastor is to tell you what the Bible says about these different subjects. But because we have, we have two opposing groups in Christianity, you have legalists who their main thing is behavior. Every sermon is about behavior, and they'll find every way they can in a sermon to deal with your behavior. How many of you have experienced something like that? The flip side of it is we want to be relevant to the culture, so everything is about how to make you feel good, how to make your neighbor like you, how to have a happier life. Both of those are destructive, because if you don't have the truth of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God is going to be this. Do this, don't do this. That's what truth is, and we all understand that, okay? When you buy a car, they'll say, don't put... So if you have a gas engine, anybody have a gas engine in your car? Don't put diesel in it. Well, I'm going to do what I want to. Well, you're welcome to. You'll just have a car that won't run. It's the same thing with your life. God says, do this and you'll be blessed. He says, if you do this, it's going to cause harm. Let me give you an example of that. In this area of drinking... Um, the Bible says, here are 20 reasons. I'm going to go through fast. Don't try to write this down. You can get this CD or I'll print this out for you later. 20 reasons to abstain from alcohol. It slows the thinking process, Proverbs 31. It makes one dizzy, Job 12. It's associated with self-centeredness, Habakkuk 2. It causes sickness, Jeremiah 25. It causes forgetfulness, Proverbs 31. It produces delirious dreams, Proverbs 23. It results in sleeplessness, Genesis 9. It produces complacency. I'm sorry, sleepiness. It produces complacence and laziness, Zephaniah chapter 1. It numbs one's feelings, Proverbs 23. It leads to pro- poverty, Proverbs 21. It leads to brokenness, Jeremiah 23. It results in sadness and depression, Isaiah 16. It causes sorrow, Proverbs 23. It produces blackouts, Genesis 19. It leads to immorality, Joel 3. It encourages sexual perversion, Habakkuk 2.15. It results in guilt, Isaiah 24.20. It causes injury, Proverbs 23.35. It can result in insanity, Jeremiah 51.7. It makes one vulnerable to his enemies, First 1 Samuel 13.28. So all you kids, go out and get as much booze as you can. You're going to have a great life. When the Bible gives that kind of information, just in a quick reading, how many of you think, let's stay away from it, right? Okay, so let's go eat. No, there's, we're going to give you some more information than just that because we live in a culture that is based on my liberty, my rights, not on what God wants. I heard one preacher say that what these people are doing is they're flaunting their liberty. I can do what I want to do. You can't tell me to do anything. That's like a three-year-old. Right? Remember when your kid was three? You're trying to walk through the mall or walk down the street, and you're holding their hand to keep them safe, and they're pulling away from you. Did that ever happen? Right? I want to do it. I want to walk. I want to push it. I want to... Those are the preachers in 21st century America. It's, it's just such an amazing, petulant attitude about not only this subject, but so many subjects. And we're going to deal with some of that. So let's, let's start with just some of the statistics. This is the latest National Institutes of Health. This, is, um, this was produced in 2017. And this says that there are, I think, 38 million alcoholics in America. 38 million. I'll read some of these statistics to you. According to the 2015 National Survey on Drug Use uh, and Health, 86.4% of people ages 18 or older reported that they drank alcohol at some point. 86%. 70% reported that they had in the last year. 56% reported that they had in the last month. Binge drinking. 26.9% 26.9% of people 18 or older reported that they had engaged in binge drinking in the last month. 26% of the population in America. Um, and we're going to find out what binge drinking is here in a, in a minute, and I think you might be surprised. Um, they, they, they don't call it alcoholism in this study. They call it alcohol use disorder. And it says that 15 million adults 18 or older uh, had, had, had that issue And then 12- to 17-year-olds, there's another 600,000. 88,000 people die from alcohol-related causes annually, making it the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. The first is tobacco. The second is poor diet and physical inactivity. And the third is alcohol. Um, In 2014, alcohol-impaired driving fatalities accounted for 9,967 deaths. That's 31% of them. In 2010, alcohol misuse caused the United States $249 billion. So let me give you an idea of $250 billion. Okay, that's how much it cost in 2010. How many of you think it's gone down? No? So $250 billion. That is, you ready for this? This will help you. That means that the cost to society, to us, is $2.05 for every drink that's sold. Every drink of alcohol that's distributed in the United States costs the rest of us $2.05 in the problems that it causes society. Is that a crazy number? And that's from the National Institutes of Health. That's not from the Baptist preacher. This is government statistics, and these are people that really have no vested interest in hurting the alcohol industry. So there's so much about what alcohol does to the culture that we as Christians, we ought to just stay away from it. But let's let's get a biblical understanding. Number one, drunkenness is a sin. All right, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Let's start there, and this really ought to be Our starting point, before I get into the drunkenness section of the message. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Amen? Do all to the glory of God. So let's find out how to do that. Look at Romans chapter 13. Let's just do a quick overview of the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the chair in front of you. As you look under it, you'll see a Bible. But we're in Romans chapter 13. And look at verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk in honesty as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So do you see this list of things? Rioting. How many of you think rioting is bad? Right? Black Lives Matter. That's bad. All right. Rioting is bad. Um, Then, drunkenness. How many of you think that that's a good thing here in this text? Chambering. What's that? That's, you know, going to bed with somebody you're not supposed to go to bed with. And they're always together, strife and envying. So you've got to put that off, and you've got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So so drunkenness is bad. It's listed so many times. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 21. I've got about four hours worth of material, so I've got to decide what to uh, filter. But look at Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 21. Um, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. What's that next one? Drunkenness. So you can see that this list, and I could take you through three or four other times that drunkenness is in this list of terrible behavior. And what's often, what's interesting about this is you don't see drunkenness in a separate list. Almost every time you see something about drunkenness in the Bible, there's some other kind of sensual activity involved with it. Now, how many of you know that people behave badly when they're under the influence of alcohol? Right? Whether it's rapes or molestations or car accidents or or self-destructive behavior in other ways or hurting other people drunkenness leads to bad things, and so the Bible constantly warns of the danger of drunkenness because it leads to these debauched behaviors. So go to Proverbs chapter 20. And don't worry, I know somebody's sitting out there and you're thinking, well, I don't get drunk, I just drink. All right, so don't worry, we're coming to you in a minute. Look at verse 1. All right, the Bible says... Wine is good for you. Now, it's interesting how many people know that Jesus turned water into wine and that Paul instructed Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. It's amazing how many people know those passages. They're their favorite passages along with judge not that you be not judged. Right? All right. Look at what it says in Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. All right. So how many of you think that that's a caution? You think that's a caution? Yeah. Look at Proverbs chapter 23. Look at verse 19. All right. The Bible says, Hear thou my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among winebibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Now, how many of you have ever seen... They used to call them winos, right? And, of course, in our culture now, it's not only alcohol, but all different types of of substance abuse that will lead a person to that. But how many of you want to be that? When I I was uh, in Chicago, this is 1981. So I'm down on Rush Street, went down with some friends. We went to this place called the Hamburger Hamlet. It's kind of a fancy restaurant that made hamburgers. And so we're out on Rush Street. It's a a summer night. Everybody's out, and there's a trash can sitting there. And this homeless guy had a bicycle. And he rode his bicycle by the trash can. And someone had been to Dairy Queen and had the, the remnants of a sundae that had melted into the bottom of that cup. And this guy stopped and took and ate that. He was a, he was a, a, a homeless person. What takes a person to that? Now, it can be mental illness, Right? And as a society, as a church, you're supposed to care for those people. As a society, we should care for those people. And there are some issues that we could talk about there that I don't think, as a culture, we're doing right by those people. Okay. But the majority of those people that, that you see, it's because of some kind of substance abuse. Now, how many of you know that already? So when the Bible says that it will bring you to rags... That's exactly what it's talking about. And we know from experience that's what it does. So there's just some things that the Bible says about it. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, By the truth and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. We need to make sure that we know the truth about these things, that we have wisdom about things. All right, Um, so how many of you know from the scriptures that drunkenness is wrong, that we're not supposed to do that? So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. But what did God require of leaders in the Bible? Go to Leviticus chapter 10. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 10. So, this is God instructing Aaron and the priests, those that would serve in the temple. All right, and we know that because in verse 8 it says, we're in Leviticus 10 and verse 8, and the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation. And what does it say, those next three words? Now, how do you think God's serious about it? Lest ye die. It shall be a statute how long? Forever throughout your generations. And that ye may put a difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. So here's what God God is telling this, this priestly tribe. Don't drink wine or strong drink because you, you need to be holy and you're going to be handling God's Word and teaching God's Word to the people. Is that what it's saying? Go with me. Keep Well, let's just go to the next one and then maybe I'll try and wrap that up. Go with me to Numbers chapter 6. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. How many of you did not know that some of the Nazarites were women? How many of you didn't know that? That's interesting, isn't it? All right. To vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made from the vine tree, from the kernels, even to the husk. So no part. He's not going to have any part of the grape. Nothing. Okay, So that is the highest level of separation that the people had in the Old Testament. And even John the Baptist, the, the forerunner of Christ, even the John the Baptist was a Nazarite, and so he kept that level of separation. So the, this is what was required of leaders in the Old Testament. So, so we see priests, and then we see the Nazarites, the highest level of separation. Let's look at what the Bible says about kings. Um, Look at Proverbs chapter 31. Look at verse 4. Proverbs 31 and verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the the afflicted. Don't do that. Kings aren't supposed to drink. But who is? Who would we give strong drink to? Look at what it says. Verse 6. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. So two things. So somebody that's ready to perish. The concept here is to alleviate their pain. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there something else that we could give someone now? Right? And how about this? Um, And those that be of heavy hearts. So how many of you now would say that if a person is depressed, to give them alcohol? It's interesting, isn't it? What's the difference? This was all that they had to alleviate suffering. This is what they had. So there it's clearly medicinal. And so you can see, if you want to be a leader, don't drink wine or strong drink. If you're dying or struggling, then give it to that person. There's a difference, isn't there? Now, how many of you are going to go this evening and, and take a bottle of Vicodin? Well, some of you might because you're in pain, and the doctor prescribed that for some pain. But when you have your grandchildren over for you know a- after dinner, hey, let's all relax with some Vicodin. How many of you, would Rania, would that be prescribed? Should we do that? No, she's a pharmacist. That would not be. Good, and we have some doctors here, but I'm not sure what they've been prescribing, so I won't ask them. It, No one would recommend... How many of you recognize... Would you work with me a little bit How many of you recognize we would not do that? So some of the times when people are taking the positive references to alcohol in the Scriptures, can you see that they're being completely misapplied? They're completely misapplied. And we'll deal with some of those others, I think, tonight. That could cause some confusion. So what did God require of the leaders? Aaron and the priests weren't supposed to drink it at all. Nazarites, the highest level of separation, don't drink it. And then the kings, they're not supposed to drink it. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. Look at Isaiah chapter 5 and look at verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. All right? So God is pronouncing a judgment here based on that, and so leaders are not supposed to do it. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at the New Testament. And this really is one of those messages that you've got to stay plugged in and want to learn the material. 1 Timothy chapter 3. What about pastors? Verse 1, 1 Timothy 3. This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop... And remember, there are three words for that are used to describe the office of the pastor in the Bible. Bishop, elder, and pastor. And the bishop is the overseeing part of that job. Pastor is feeding and protecting the flock. And an elder is one who knows God and knows God's Word. And they, those are the three words that describe the office of the pastor. Number two, or Verse 2. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man... Uh, Know not how to rule his own house. How how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So one of the things that's instructed here is not given to wine. You You don't drink it. You're not given to it. You don't give yourself to that. Look at the office of the deacon, verse 10. And let these also be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. All right. Verse 8, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. And we'll talk about what that means. So not given to much wine. Does that mean they can be given to a little bit of wine? We'll, we'll figure that out. Not greedy of filthy lucre. So what we're seeing is that in leadership, they're saying don't do it. That's, that's the teaching of Scripture. Don't do it. Um, and we have to put scripture in its proper context in order to be able to understand it. So let's let's get this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. So we saw in the Old Testament that priests are not to drink alcohol. Yes, here it is. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse Ye also as lively stones... This is Peter talking about how Jesus Christ is the the head of the corner and he's the the chief. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. And what's it say there? Holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that we as believers are priests before God. Is Is that what it says? Look at uh, Revelation chapter 5, look at verse 9, and this is the people around the throne worshiping Jesus. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So all of us, the Bible says we're kings and priests and we're going to reign on the earth. So the Bible says the priests aren't supposed to drink alcohol. The Bible says that kings aren't supposed to drink alcohol. The Bible says that pastors aren't supposed to drink alcohol. And then it says that deacons aren't given to, supposed to be given to much wine, and we're going to explain what that is. So the clear teaching of Scripture is that we as believers, we're not supposed to drink. So not only are we not supposed to get drunk, but what the Bible says for Christians is we're not supposed to do it. And let's, let's go on. So number one, drunkenness is a sin, and then God what did, require, what did God require of leaders to stay away from it? Well, then number three, we've got to put Scripture in its proper context. So when we talk about context all the time, we know that that means whose mail am I reading. So when, when the Bible is written, when I'm reading that text, is that for me or is that for another people group? And we have to understand that to understand the Scriptures. But understanding the context also means understanding the historical context. In other words, what did God mean when He wrote it, and how did His hearers understand it? So everybody go with me to Psalm 150, all right? I want to give you an example of this. All right, Psalm 150. Let's just read this psalm together. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So Psalm 150, verse 3. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. All right. So we are developing different instruments to use in the church service. And I love the use of all of the instruments in praising God. Isn't that good? Why don't we dance? Why don't we dance? How many of you think... Now, uh, you young people, look at me. This is really important. We have homecoming dances. We have all of these dances. And people say, should Christians dance? So let's... And here's what people say. Well, the Bible says that we should dance. So how many of you think the dance that he's talking about would resemble what Jennifer Lopez does? Is there anyone here that would think that's the same thing? How many of you think there might be a different cultural context to that dance? So there are traditional dances. So, you know, the Irish, you know. Okay, now let me ask you a question. All right, you ready? How many of you, that was sensual for you? (laughs) If it was, you need help. Is that the dancing that happens at homecoming? I like what James Knox said. Modern dancing allows young people to do in this direction what married people are supposed to do in this direction. gets so quiet. You know why? Because Christians just don't think about these things. And, you know, it's the Uncle Rico syndrome. From Napoleon Dynamite. Remember Uncle Rico? He was living in his past as a football star in high school. And parents who hated high school because they were nerds and not cool, they want their kids to have everything they didn't in high school. And so you've got this whole prom situation, people spending a bunch of money. And so, all of you men, do we have any? If you're a man here, would you raise your hand? And if you're not sure, I can help later. All right. What was the goal of the homecoming dance? Now, don't say it out loud. Hmm. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The rest of y'all are lying. So. What, what are we doing? We're identifying a problem. People will take the word dance from the Bible, something that was holy and celebratory, and say, because that's recommended in the Bible, I can go and grind at the high school deal, or I can go into a bar because I enjoy that. How many of you, when you read Psalm 150, think Miley Cyrus? what kind of music is danced to at these events that we want our kids to participate in and so here's what happens here's what happens people think well there goes pastor jim again he's just he doesn't like dancing no 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 no, no. what i'm saying is what is called dancing now is not what was commended in the bible <laughs> Let me show you what modern, where modern dancing would be found in the Bible. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> All right. 1 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from... What's that word? Idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So now, verse 19. What say I, then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? So, in other words, if you sacrifice something to an idol, it's nothing because the idol is not real. Right? Verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, And not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat. Asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat. Asking no question for conscience sake. So this, this food that's been offered to idols, this meat that's been offered to idols, it's just meat. If it's cheaper than meat somewhere else, get it and eat it, and don't let your conscience be bothered by it. It's just food. And if you get invited to a lost person's house, go and eat that food at that lost person's house. That's what this is saying, okay? Then look at what it says. Verse 28. "'But if any man say unto you, "'This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, "'eat not for his sake that showed it, "'and for conscience' sake, "'for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. "'Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other, "'for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience?' For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved... Now, what happens in this text, if you look through what is happening at the Church of Corinth, their worship included immoral acts as a part of the worship. Public immoral acts and prostitutes as part of the worship. Drinking of intoxicating beverages and substances as a part of the worship. And then making sacrifices. And so what the Apostle Paul is writing, what God is telling the church is, our worship is completely different than that. Right? They're completely different. So the analogy that Paul is giving is this on the meat offered to idols. So this meat, you're invited to a lost person's house and you eat, but there's a new believer there. And so now you've got a choice to, to offend the new believer or to offend the lost person. Paul says offend the lost person. Don't cause a young Christian to stumble. Okay? So now let's take it back to the analogy of the dancing. Modern sensual dance can cause people to stumble. It produces lust and trouble and all kinds of problems. Amen? It causes people to stumble. Let's not do that. You parents, help your kids. Help your kids with this. Because we're not legalists, that doesn't mean that immoral behavior is okay. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's take some stands on these things. That's an example of historical context, understanding that we're dancing. Now, here's the deal. Some of you girls, you might be sitting there saying, but I like to dance, and it's not sensual for me. Number one, you just don't know what you're talking about yet. Come on, man, help me out a little bit. Amen? So... We've got we to help our young people to understand what's going on. I don't have to explain it to the guys. <laughs> they know. They're afraid to say it because they, they the girls are thinking they're thinking bad about them or whatever. Man, it's just reality. Can I just be real graphic for a minute? Guys like to watch girls move. So that's why you're supposed to move properly. It's just the way it's. That's not fair. Whatever. I should be 6'4". It's just reality. It's the way it is. Amen? Okay, so now, you say, Pastor, what does this have to do with alcohol? It's because we have to understand the historical context of a passage and the use of that passage in order to be able to teach it properly. So dancing is an illustration of that. Modern dancing is nothing like the dancing that was mentioned in the Bible. And modern alcohol is nothing like what we have in the Bible. Let me give eight principles on drinking that I, I got from John MacArthur. His first question that he asks is this. Is alcohol today the same as it was in biblical times? No. No. In biblical times, it was nothing like it. And I want to read to you what he said about the wedding at Cana. For example, do you remember John chapter 2? You remember Everybody knows that Jesus turned water into wine. Listen to this. This is so good. For example, do you remember John 2, the wedding at Cana, and do you remember that they had a wedding for the whole village? Let's assume there were 500 people in the village. That would probably be close to reality. They would all come, and the wine ran out. Now, how many of you think it would be hard to find wine for 500 people in Sydney? Would that be hard to do? No. The wine ran out. That's the biggest event in the village. That's the biggest event for the people, and they don't have enough wine for a week. A wedding lasts a week, and a few days they're out. This is not a vast consumption of alcohol, and it was limited. Today there's an unlimited supply. Unlimited. Now let me tell you something else about it. It was a thousand years after the New Testament that the process of distillation was developed and invented. A thousand years later, what did distillation do? It increased the alcohol content potentially from 40% to 75%. That's what distillation did. A little after that, during the time of Napoleon, some kind of process known as chapitalization was developed, and that added another potential 5% of alcohol. That's where you get things like whiskey, hard liquor, and this is the high, with this high alcohol content. Today, fortified wines would be as high as 20% alcohol, and even higher than that. The wine that was used in these events, if you take the wine, and you, it's the grape juice, you put it in a, in a jar after two or three days you're gonna have two to four percent alcohol content That's the wine that was being spoken of so when people try and take this concept of wine today and wine in the Bible it's not the same thing the question that people have is what about drinking in moderation have you heard that question I don't think anybody has any idea what they're talking about drinking in moderation so according to the National Institutes of Health drinking in moderation is for a woman one glass of wine a day for a man Two glasses of wine a day. How much are we talking about? That much. That's five ounces of wine. One serving of wine, according to the National Institutes of Health, is five ounces. How many of you think that's what people drink? Now, I don't drink. I've never had wine. I don't know what it tastes like. And so here's what happens. People say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Praise God. But here's the thing I can read. It's this amazing ability. And this is going to shock you guys. You're not going to believe this. I've been to a restaurant. And I watch them bring out the drink. When you watch them bring out a drink of wine, is this what they bring? No. The other thing is when people talk about drinking in moderation and they really fight for it, we're really fighting over that? You're being lied to, young people. You're being lied to. Do you know how much one drink of whiskey is? It's that much. That's what we're fighting over? And Eric told us in the Sunday school class, if he had this and flew within eight hours, they'd arrest him, put him in jail. Now, this, of course, is just grape juice. New wine. But it's really important that you understand that even the conversation, isn't it helpful to define terms? How many of you, that's honestly not what you think about with drinking in moderation? Seriously. When you hear about people drinking in moderation, that's not what we're talking about. And that's because they're not drinking in moderation. So important to get this. So, all kinds of evidence that when, that the alcohol in the Bible was diluted with water, they would take the grape juice because it would would go bad. And so they'd boil it down, and when they boiled it down, that took the alcohol out of it. And they would mix that with water, and that would kill the bacteria in the water. So when Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake, for thine oft infirmities, it's because Timothy was trying to stay so far away from it, he wouldn't touch it. So Paul said, take that, mix it in with your water. It's okay to do that. That's what's being spoken of. Um, So number one is the alcohol... Today, the same as it was in biblical times, and it's just not. And I've got all kinds of historical evidence, but I'm running out of time. Number two, next question: Is drinking alcohol necessary? Is it necessary? No, because we live in a sanitary world, right? Where's, where's Bill? Is our water drinkable in Sydney? Yes. Yes. He's the utilities director. So our water is drinkable. No one's going to die from the water in Sydney. Okay, Alex Jones may tell you something else, but nobody (laughs) is going to die from drinking the water in Sydney. It's really important that we get that. We live in a sanitary world. Drinking alcoholic beverages is not necessary. All right? Um, It is so important. This is purely a matter of choice. It's purely a matter of choice. Then, number three. So number one, is it the same? No. Number two, is it necessary? No. Number three, is it the best choice? So let me ask you it this way. If you want to be sure to avoid drunkenness, is drinking the best choice? Young people, see if you can answer this. I know it's hard. All right? So how many of you believe drunkenness is a sin? Right. So here's the question. If you want to be sure to avoid drunkenness, is drinking the best choice? No. good way not to get drunk is don't drink. Right? I know that's, that's hard to get your head around. All right. Then, um, number four, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Is drinking alcohol habit forming? Is it habit forming? Look at verse um, 12, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful unto me. Aren't you glad? If you're saved, you can do anything. You're not going to go to hell. Right? All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Now, if you look in the middle of that word expedient, see that That, P-E-D? That's your foot. That's walking. So you go to the doctor, a podiatrist. He works on your foot. So the... All things are not expedient. Some things bind my feet and cause me to stumble. Other things loose me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So this is a foundational question. Does drinking alcohol have the potential to bring me under its power? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. And we're all creatures of habit. The fact that there are thirty eight million alcoholics in America, it shows that it is a controlling behavior. So there's other things that you should stay away from that are controlling gambling, right? Pornography, other things that are addictive, that, that, that cause all kinds of harm. All right. So is it habit forming? Yes. Is it potentially destructive? Yes. How about liver disease, cancer, relationships, purity? Um, look at Proverbs chapter twenty again. Is it potentially destructive? Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse... um, Go to chapter 23. All right. We looked at verse 21 earlier. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Um, Look at verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. So you can see that when the wine has fermented, all these things start to happen. Why? At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. How many of you think that's a bad idea? Is it a bad idea to lie down in the middle of the ocean? Yeah, yeah. Or, as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. How many of you think it's a bad idea to get up on top of a pole and lie down? Right? That's what drinking does. So it has the potential for destruction. Then... How about this? Is it offensive to others? How many of you, it would bother you if you found out I was was going out drinking? How many of you that would bother you? All right. So is it offensive to others? Yes. Yes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Wouldn't it be awful if you were the one that influenced someone to start drinking and it ruined their life? See, if I influence you to drink coffee, that's just going to make you happy. (laughs) If If I influence you to exercise, if I influence you to bike riding, if I influence you to golf or hunting, can those things be abused? Yeah, if you've ever seen me play golf, you know that's an abuse of the sport. It just can't even be called golf. But the only way that that's bad is if it takes you away from your family, it takes you away from your responsibilities. Obviously, that wouldn't be a thing. What's got greater potential to destroy somebody's life? Hunting or alcohol? Isn't that common sense? So this is the thing. Is it offensive to others, um, especially of other Christians, Then. I must take into consideration the people around me. All right, so our questions are, is it the same alcohol as it was? No. Is drinking alcohol necessary? No. Is it the best choice? No. Is it habit-forming? Yes. Is it potentially destructive? Yes. Is it offensive to others? Yes. Can it harm my testimony? Absolutely. Absolutely. Am I absolutely certain? This is such a good thing. Am I absolutely certain that this behavior is right? Am I absolutely certain? Here's a good question to ask yourself. Will it disappoint God if I don't do this? If I don't drink alcohol, will that disappoint God? You see, as Christians, we're supposed to seek the higher way, not the lowest common denominator. What is the potential for harm? Let's finish up with this. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in Psalms, In hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's a type of worship, there's a type of life that brings glory to God, and there's a type that brings reproach to God and His people. Um, Let me throw this one thing in on the dancing. I didn't say it. You notice there's no dancing in the New Testament, it's completely gone. As a part of worship, when you read any of the literature from early believers, there's nothing in the New Testament about it that's not a part of Christian, the Christian faith. And neither is drinking alcohol. When you, read, when you read anything of the early literature, man, they just stayed away from it because it was so dangerous. So we as believers, we need to understand that we have a culture that wants us to say, anything's okay, do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. But that's just not the biblical approach. Amen. Amen. So at Grace Baptist Church, here is our requirement. These are our rules. If you are in leadership at Grace Baptist Church, you cannot consume alcoholic beverages of any kind. So if you're in the choir, if you're discipling somebody, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're an Awana leader or helper, we stay away from that because we certainly wouldn't want to influence children toward that direction. There was an article in The Guardian. Uh, it's, a, it's a British newspaper. Just recently, and you know what they discovered? That giving alcoholic drinks to teenagers leads them to become drinkers. Is that an amazing thing? I couldn't believe that they figured that out. The other thing that the National Institutes of Health said in their report is that when you give alcohol to an underdeveloped mind, so that's teenagers, Right? Their minds don't, aren't developed until they're around 25. It stops the development. It impairs the development. And here's why this is so bad. One in five, listen, one in five college students on campuses is an alcoholic. Is that good for society or bad? One in five are abusing it. Now, so we talked about moderation. This is moderation. Two of those for a lady is considered abuse. Do you think maybe we have more alcohol abuse than has been reported? So it's really important that we start to understand these categories and we understand what the Bible says. The wine in the Bible that's being spoken of is not the wine that is sold today. All of the alcohol that's today, when you get into whiskey and those things, that wasn't even contemplated in the Scripture. That's so far beyond what anybody should do. What about beer? What about beer? Same thing. How many of you have ever known somebody that messed something up because they had had too much beer? Right? Do you understand how many cases of date rape there are because of alcohol? Let's just stay away from this stuff. Amen? Amen. Let's just stay away from it. And there's another good thing since we're talking about behavior. Girls, if you're not alone with a guy, it's tough for that to happen. Right? Right? Amen. All right, let's all stand together. You know, we can't have a service at Grace Baptist Church without telling you this. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. He wants you to go to heaven and have eternal life. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, then the penalty for that is death and hell, separation from God forever. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. doesn't matter what you do, because there's nothing you can do to go to heaven without the blood of Jesus Christ. But if Jesus Christ has cleansed you, well, let's let's take the warnings from the Scripture and understand that we as believers need to not touch it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's sing this together.